Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. (laughs) For for those watching the live stream, you can clearly see Matt back up before he does the Yelp. Solid move. Yes, um, from consistent feedback from Lucas and producer Sam, I have, um, I'm loud. (laughs) I'm loud. Um, and that, that's where that's where we've gotten. But and I may be loud, but I think they're still thankful to have me around. Which reminds me, Lucas, happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving! Happy uh, Thanksgiving! Dog. Yeah, oh. we're recording this uh, just a few days before Thanksgiving. But for those of you yeah. um, listening uh, to the podcast later, obviously on Thursday, um, it is uh, Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to you! Um, yes. Hopefully you're waking up, it's your day off, and you're going to go over to your families in a few hours, and you're just listening to a little bit of thanks for playing to get ready for your day. Or perhaps you're falling asleep into a food coma after mountains of stuffing and turkey and whatever else people eat these Ham. days on Thanksgiving. Ham, potatoes, yams. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food item? Honestly, man, it's got to be stuffing. Really? <laughs> like, you just assume that it's, that made it sound like you, it's a very obvious choice. I feel like. I thought it is. Is it? Dude, stuffing has so much utility. <laughs> okay. Can you, ex- <laughs> you want to explain the meta of stuffing? I mean, it's great with like mixing it with any of the dishes that are typically involved in Thanksgiving, whether that's turkey, you know, the, the potatoes, the yams, whatever it may be. Um, it's perfect the next day as like its own separate dish. It's perfect as a combination for a breakfast dish. Hear me out. Wow. You get, you get your stuffing warming up and in a pan, um, fry an egg, put it on top of the stuffing and drizzle on a little gravy. Lucas. Okay. That sounds pretty good. You're in for a good time. I've never, I've never thought about doing that. Okay. Yeah, I cook. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know what? Stuffing, stuffing's pretty underrated. I'd say. Yeah. Um, for me. So you've you've turned me a little bit. I will have to say that if there is ham, that's my choice. If there's like honey baked ham at the dinner table, that is usually my first choice for favorite dish. But I'm just gonna have to go with a classic. Um, Lucas's famous rosemary crock pot mashed potatoes is my favorite dish. A little bit of self. Oh, it's one you make. Yeah, I'm making that one this year for the family. Oh, and um, people are excited. I guess I guess someone's got to be your own biggest fan, right? <laughs> That's yeah. right. I'm excited. No, I mean I'm good with that. Um, my mom always said, you know, you know, everyone needs a fan, even if you're the fan. <laughs> That's so <laughs> encouraging of your mom, for sure. I'm excited because um, you know Thanksgiving is um, obviously a really great time for food and hanging out with the family. Um, hopefully, a lot of people out there are having a little bit of a different Thanksgiving than last year. I know many people didn't get to see their families. Um, just because yeah, hopefully um, more able to get together safely this year, I think. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. Um, hopefully, you know, many people out there are vaccinated, including their family members and are able to kind of come together and, um, definitely celebrate Thanksgiving, get the feast out of the way. And then, uh, maybe play some games with the family, maybe play some Mario Kart some games, uh, play maybe, some... maybe Lucas, they'll play oh, God. some interactive storytelling games. Maybe Lucas, please. They'll play. The number one. That's right, Lucas. Today, we are talking about the number one bad parent simulator. Heavy rain. 
That's right. The 2019, uh, or I'm sorry, not 2019, the 2010 interactive fiction game uh, written and directed by David Cage, who turns out is a very controversial figure, uh, very divisive. Nine out of 10 from IGN, nine out of 10 on Eurogamer, eight and a half on GameSpot, 87 out of 100 on Metacritic for the PS3. Said IGN gave them a nine. IGN gave them a nine. I do think it is acknowledging that upon revisiting the game, because they, re- they re-reviewed it when for the remaster, they gave it a 7.5. Okay. Maybe we'll, we'll go into more about what Lucas and I think it should be at as the, as the evening continues. But, um, but before we go any further, everyone, um, a few things. I'm thankful for you, <laughs> the audience, the people. And that's why I want feedback. I want to hear what you people think. I want to hear from you what you want to see on this podcast. You want to see Lucas and I live in a studio? Maybe we'll make that happen. I don't know. Um, just email everyone. Thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. Maybe leave a review on, um, I don't know, Apple Podcast. Uh, leave a review and tell Lucas and I what Thanksgiving dish we would be. Ooh, I like that I, um, While I may like, I, I'm, a, I'm a stuffing guy, but <clears throat> I got a hankering. I came down to it. I'd be yams. Sweet potatoes. Not sure about Lucas. I think he's just the turkey. He's a whole. <laughs> I'm the whole. He's I'm the, the main, event. main course. Yeah, he's the main yeah. event. Um, <laughs> follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on all of it. Um, come hang out on uh, Instagram, Twitter with us. TFP Podcast. That's TFP Podcast with an S at the end. And um, check out our website. We have a website. We don't do enough with that website. We should do more with that website. Yeah. We had a photo shoot for the website. We haven't even put the damn picture. I know, I know. Well, our photos are on the website, so. Maybe maybe that'll be our Thanksgiving post, just the one of you and me looking all suave, just like thankful. Totally. (laughs) Thankful for the, (laughs) thankful for us. Yeah, yeah. And Um, join the Discord, too. We got to play. Join the Discord. You can find it on the link tree in either of our social media handles on Instagram or Twitter. Um, And we're on TikTok. Or you can find it on our Website, thanks for playing live, or shoot us an email. We'll send you the invite that way. Either way, come hang out. It's a good time. We'd love to have you there. And yeah. Um, all right, everyone. So before we go any farther, I'm going to give you all a brief rundown uh, of Heavy Rain. It's a pretty, pretty intense story. So listen tight, buckle up. This will be lightly touching on spoilers. Well, as always, Lucas and I will try and keep the podcast as spoiler light as we can. But again, as always, with uh, spoilers will inevitably come up, probably some major ones for this game, I imagine. So be prepared. Listen at your own caution. And Andrew uh, Roberts in the chat, what up, my friend? Heavy Rain, first game I played on PS4. What a wild ride. It was a wild ride indeed. We will dive into that. But all right, everyone, Heavy Rain. So Heavy Rain opens following the picture-perfect life of Ethan and his family on their son Jason's birthday. After a lovely morning... Things unfold on a family trip to the mall and quickly go to shit. Jason wanders off, gets hit by a car. Meanwhile, Ethan walks away with depression and a coma from trying to shield Jason from the car that ended his life. As well, Ethan wins Worst Parent of the Year award. Fast forward two years, and Ethan has awoken from his coma of six months and is separated from his wife. Ethan is now at the park with his son, Sean, only for Ethan and then black out and for Sean to be kidnapped by none other than the origami killer. 
origami okay origami. yeah hang on it really depends <laughs> yeah so that was that was like, intentional yeah, okay okay yeah, no yeah. one knows how to pronounce origami um, in this game no one knows how to pronounce origami um sean is kidnapped by none other than the origami killer with a penchant a killer with a penchant for drowning his own victims in rainwater and targeting children exclusively the story then introduces Jaden norman an fbi detective on the case madison page an insomniac journalist who knows nothing about romance and scott <laughs> shelby a private detective working on the origami killer's case. The player plays um, as the rotating cast of characters of Ethan and the others and watches them struggle to find and save Sean and discover the identity of the origami killer. The origami killer, yeah. The origami. As you may have noticed, um, that was kind of all over the place, that um, synopsis. And I think that's... um, a fair descriptor of this game is a little, little all over the place. Um, I want to dive a little bit into David Cage. He has his own studio. They're the ones that developed this game. Um, Quantic Dreams. Dream. Of course, it was published by Sony Entertainment themselves. But um, some other notable games David Cage has done. He, he's really defined a very clear niche for himself. Um, very much knows what he likes to make. Very much narrative-driven, story-based games. Um, sto- um, interactive stories is how they call it. However, I'm going to... I think it a little bit here. I'm going to debate how interactive stories should be defined and we'll get into that in a little Ooh, bit. But, I like, I like that. Um, some other notable games our friend David Cage has done um, include Omicron, the nomad nomad soul. Um, and more notably, he's worked on Fahrenheit also known in North America as Indigo prophecy uh, beyond two souls and Detroit become human. I've played all of these games except Omicron, which is pretty different from the other ones. I believe I've played Fahrenheit. I've played beyond and I've played Detroit Become Human. So I'm so somewhat of a David Cage savant, you might say, or an expert even. <laughs> You're a fan. Uh, I'm a fan. Um, and I'm questioning where that fandom started. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he he has a very clear genre. He likes being story-driven games where you get to build your own choices out and do your own thing. Very similar to another game we did for the podcast very recently, actually. Until Dawn. Um, until Dawn. So um lucas david cage what do you what do you think yeah um i mean are we just gonna go straight into it (laughs) yeah i mean unless you have anything else you'd like to preface with no no i mean to to me with heavy rain um okay like when it comes to quote like story-driven games i i think story-driven game is like a pretty loaded term um just in general you know many rpg games are very heavy on the story side and yes, you know yes. every final fan most final fantasies have a really mm-hmm. great storyline you know and it's hard, it's weird to say that something's a story-based game when like final fantasy 7 is not a story-based game despite having a phenomenal story right so story-based game a little bit of a loaded term you know i i think that david cage likes to think that he's telling stories better with his games than something like a square enix might tell a story with like a final fantasy 7 or i I don't know, like a suit of 51 might tell like killer, a killer seven story or something like that. I think that um, David Cage really thinks that he's like taking a film context and turning it into a very effective video game and kind of repurposing one medium for another medium. But after playing Heavy Rain, I don't really feel that way. Um, again, I can't speak for David Cage. I know, Matt, you did a few pulled a few quotes and you're probably a little bit more well-researched on the guy than me. I do have a few quotes 
that I did question. I did read an interview on David Cage. I'm not quite sure where his head's at when he's making something like this, but I, I don't know, man, this, this story, it's a story driven. It's, it's basically a game that doesn't have any mechanics just for those of you that have never played it. Doesn't have any like real game mechanics. Doesn't have any scores to keep. Doesn't have um, any sort of meta systems that drive anything. Permadeath. At its core, thing. it's basically the same as how like Until Dawn was, where the gameplay is just quick time events after quick time event after quick time event, which and you're Im- making choices in between, which impact the results of the story and create butterfly effects yes. for certain things that play out in that story. Um, and I, I typically don't like games like that in general but i did like until dawn i think that was a fun experience i think it like leaned into a lot of things did a lot of things right it's crazy that to play until dawn and then play heavy rain to see how until dawn does a lot of things right five years later with the same genre of video game and how heavy rain does a lot of things wrong even though heavy rain's a more highly rated game i think it's just a context of its time um and its generation but we'll get into that yeah, I get major Joseph Ferret vibes. Right. Ferret Joseph vibes Ross. from this guy. Yeah. Frost, excuse me. Um, Joseph Ross vibes from this guy. Not in the sense that he's like as zany or wacky as Joseph Ross is, because actually, from what I can tell, at least in the interviews I saw, he's he does seem relatively chill and down to earth. So I'm not gonna throw that on him, but I can just tell I think he just thinks he's a little smarter than he is and is a little more clever than he probably is. Um and I don't know, it's interesting because the the way he defines his games is as like interactive storytelling, right? And when I first heard that, I, I didn't really like that because in my mind, just because you're making choices and like, I, it, for, for me, I view all games as interactive storytelling. Right. Because um, you're literally, I mean, I feel like by definition, you're literally, you know, you're interacting with, with something that a has story. a story. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, games are the most clear medium where you do that. Um, however, upon looking uh, at the definition of interactive storytelling, it is more about like very specifically, um, games like this, like until dawn where, or like oxen free, even where the storyline is not linear. It's not predetermined, right. Where you're very actively, um, engaging in the story right where you're creating those changes but to me i I view interactive storytelling and maybe at this point it's just nitpicking words but i i don't it's interesting that he calls it interactive storytelling because i feel like he makes so many little choices in the game and like gameplay mechanic wise um and as far as the the tasks that he makes you do and i'm not talking about like the the tasks or the trials your character has to go through in the game. I'm talking about the minute details of um, frying up an egg for someone or Dude. opening a door oh or <laughs> navigating an extremely awkward, not earned story wise, romantic wise sex scene. Yeah. Um, that including things like that for the sake of storytelling makes very for the, for the sake of your genre of interactive storytelling and for the sake of, all these random little quick time events doesn't really work. And it, it just creates a game that is just awkward. I yeah, think. Ex- and exactly. It, it's, it's weird. And you know, it's crazy, Lucas. I, I know I mentioned this to you already, but, um, I, 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 I had great memories of playing this game. Actually. Yeah. This is your second and playthrough, right? This is my second playthrough. And I was actually very excited to jump back into this and, upon replaying it, I was just kind of blown away. I was just like, this game is 
not how I remember it, simply put. Um, and it's interesting that, like I said, I've played a lot of other David Cage's games. I've played Detroit, his most recent Detroit Become Human, which again, I have great memories of and it's very recent, like 2019. So I'd be very curious to replay that and see how I feel. Um, but I've played Beyond Two Souls. I remember that being like just okay. Indigo Prophecy was bad. I do remember that. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So maybe he did improve over time, but uh, we, we can get into it a bit more. But Lucas, um, and, and one other thing actually I do want to mention, sorry, is I, I, I hate that this game is praised as a storytelling benchmark when you look at the story. Oh, man. And even not just from, I mean, there's so many things to pick apart, apart uh, simply just from, for one, how people talk to each other, how humans in this game interact with each other. It's not human-like at all um to just like very kind of clear motivational plot holes of characters and things like that but i'm blown you you said this game won like a storytelling yeah award, it won right? it, the year it came out it won three bafta awards including um best story of that year so two, that, that's so upsetting because i mean red dead redemption came out that year yeah i put that story bioshock in this game too. By far. i've played both bioshock i haven't played bioshock 2 but i mean so many great uh, 20 this was 2010, 2010. Right? Very good year for games. Um, the notable ones, Red Dead Redemption, Fall at New Vegas, <laughs> Alan Wake, yeah. Mass Effect, which I'm sure probably would have should have won an award. I haven't played it, but I've only heard amazing things about it. Uh, Limbo. So many it's, amazing games I, came out during that time. I just cannot believe that the the blatant, not only were the blatant plot holes of the narrative ignored um, for that award, but even even for the things that were not plot holes i don't i don't think they worked out very well i i mean when it comes to story with games you know um just a few months ago we played a little game called disco elysium one of the best stories period video game or not that i've personally experienced you know massive thousands and thousands and thousands of pages long fully voice acted just like heavy rain like what how, how are we as a gaming community setting the bar when it comes to story even before heavy rain came out um you know if you want to compare like games that were you know a little more quote primitive than something like a heavy rain like i said you have like final fantasy 7 you have like complex storytelling going on in like any any other like visual novel stuff like even phoenix right um, even like, I mean, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, like there's so many RPGs that were telling phenomenal stories with a lot of depth, with character development, no voice acting, but like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird that this became like such a standard for storytelling when to me, if you took this story and plopped it again, like there's a lot of interaction and there's like a lot of different places that the story goes and different results. If you just plop Let's this- Let's pretend you plopped every main every main choice, it, most popular choice. Into like yeah. a game, or in, sorry, into like a TV show or a movie, it, it wouldn't, it would feel like kind of a, a Law and Order episode, maybe. I mean, it doesn't, it has too many plot holes to even be, to even be that. To me, it, it just was not the caliber of story that I was really looking for, for a game that's supposed to be all completely story-based and all about story. But beyond that, the interactive drama thing, and sorry, Andrew, I'm I'm reading your uh, <laughs> Andrew, I'm reading your chat. I'll, Andrew I'll, had I'll... a very funny comment. <laughs> My mom walked in when I was playing this game, and it was hard to explain the point. Of it. <laughs> okay, okay, well, we'll I'll respond to that in a minute. I just, in terms of the the story, it, it's one thing to say or categorize a game as like an interactive drama or a heavy story based game, but when the interaction, I'll, I'll point out a very specific example. There is a point in the game where you bust into a mansion, you kill 20 dudes with 20 bullets, 
and the only piece of interaction is me clicking one button on my keyboard to kill those guys, okay? So guy pops up, I push W, kill him. Guy pops up, push W, kill him. I do that 20, I swear, 20 times in that scene. At what point is this an interactive scene where I'm making decisions or is this just a freaking cutscene? It's like, it's a movie with extra steps. It's a scene from a, a TV show with like me mindlessly pushing a button that's not fun, that's not really interactive. It's like, it doesn't even create any sort of extra choice I could make. I like, there's some there's some scenes in this game, some chapters where if you completely failed a quick time event, it doesn't matter. If you say no to X, you still get Y. There's some choices that mean literally nothing in this game, so I don't understand how we can call it like, something that you actually have control over, except for the points where you can possibly die, which are based on you pushing a button at the right time, not based on choices. Yeah, and I I, I think some of the, some previous listeners of the podcast, particularly people that listen to Until Dawn, might think we're being hard on this kind of game so far, but I mean, I, I think something too important to acknowledge with Until Dawn was a lot of the mechanics in that game that decided whether you died or not were... Yeah, it did have a lot of kind of bullshit quick time events like we're describing here. However, it also had a lot of um, actual like actions you're participating in. Like there were multiple points where I had to actually use my controller and aim my gun at like one of the yeah drama. They're called yeah, real like yeah. tense. I'm gonna die unless I aim yeah. and shoot this guy, which this yeah. game had done. Or like a very cool thing where they took advantage of the motion of the controller, where you have to literally sit still with a the controller and then if you move too much you get caught by the demon things if you're they're called dingoes it, it, or whatever. Wendi wendigos um, and Wendigo, how about Wendigos, how about this yeah. in in until dawn at least leading up into the points where characters could die you made choices on you know is so is this character gonna walk off with this character is this character gonna sit here and potentially not be at risk to get killed like heavy rain doesn't even set up certain scenarios to lead to a possibility of getting killed or not getting killed. You just are forced into a funnel where you go do the thing that you have to do now your quick time inputs. And if you fuck up your quick time inputs, you can die. That's what the game is. It's and yeah. on top of that, it's like for some reason you just fight a guy like every other scene. I don't understand like why we keep having to fight people for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. Um, First impressions overall to Lucas. I mean, before you realized how you really felt, how did you feel? So, so this game to me, I'll just give a short history of the context with the game here is I did have like friends that played this game in high school um, that had PS3s. I did not have a PS3 in high school. Um, and, you know, I, I think I had a lot of friends that played this game and really enjoyed it. I had friends that like came to me in school were like, oh, I'm playing through this really cool game called Heavy Rain. And I just, it's always just kind of been on the back burner for me. And I mean, as I played it, I was kind of reluctant to dive in just because we had just recently done a similar game in my head, which was Until Dawn. And then as I played more Heavy Rain, it just kind of dawned on me that a lot of things weren't really making that much sense. And um, I wasn't that blown away with the interactivity levels of the game. I thought that a lot of them were very um, arbitrary. Um, a lot of them- Pretty rudimentary. A lot of them were very rudimentary. I mean, there's just this part where you like put out plates for the dinner table for the kid's birthday party and you're putting out the plates and you have to do the input also the, for every the, plate. 
the plates are in the fucking yeah i know that was weird zero i don't know why i don't know what david cage was thinking i, I don't yeah. know if he'd ever been in a house before or whatever but who i don't know who puts the the nice plates in the living room it's but when you put the plates down on the table you do a separate input for every single plate it's just a forced way to make you do something during what would otherwise be a cutscene. So when I started kind yeah. of realizing that this is what the game was going to do to me, which was just like every little interaction, no matter how small, you were going to have to do an input for, I was kind of like slowly backing out of that. Um, that's kind of where my initial thoughts on the game lied. And then as the story unfolded, I think in the last like half of the game, it started kind of falling apart narratively. And then when the reveal of who the origami killer is is finally shown, I like my jaw dropped at how lame that was, and I kind of just was <laughs> upset and and really checked out on the game. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm. Well, I'll tell you my first impression. Jason. <laughs> God. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. Um. Those that don't know, when you first lose your son, Jason, in the mall, your main action you can do is just walk around screaming Jason. And I don't know. It doesn't even really sound like a concerned dad at that point. He's like literally some of the way he screams is just like Jason. Like it. I don't know. Very, very odd voice acting and direction. Choices. And very like um, out of like not... Not the way you would sound, I think. <laughs> Just completely out of, like, yeah, the emotional, yeah. like, level, very out of place for me. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I kind of had a general idea of what this game was about already. I'd played it years ago. Um, and I will say that I was actually a bit surprised in the beginning. I did not remember how bad of a parent uh, Ethan was. I I did not remember. I thought Jason got kidnapped in that scenario. I totally forgot he, he died and um sean was actually the one that got kidnapped totally forgot about that um and yeah it was just I, I was also very blown away in the beginning by the monotony of the tasks you have to do and there was literally almost a point where i was like am i gonna have to look up a guide to find the, the fucking plates like, <laughs> i was like i'm in the kitchen where's the plates like where else would they be and then after like 10 minutes of me wandering around like an idiot she's like my wife goes, oh, come on, Jason. They're they're in the living yeah, room where they always yeah. are. Or Ethan. I'm like, what? Like, no, that's why'd you take to me? Why'd you take me 10 minutes to, or to tell me that? Um, and yeah, it, it was it was, it's just a weird game. It's a dark game and a bummer of a game, too. I mean, your kid well, we're we're kind of poking fun at how shitty of a dad Jason is, or Ethan, Ethan is, excuse me, but also, it's very sad. Jason dies very early on. His kid after that, Sean, is very clearly like also depressed. Traumatized, and not really. connected to his father anymore and traumatized. Ethan is beyond fucked mentally, um, having like blackouts and having to go to Which, therapy and just depression. He doesn't have any blackouts after his son gets kidnapped, by the way. Just want to point. Yeah, just want to, yeah, I just want to point that out. Um, God, I forgot about that. And, <laughs> God, I'm just going so in. And... The asthma from Scott just goes away. Just doesn't. Yeah, it's not even a plot point. It's just there for no reason, actually. Um, <sighs> and his wife, uh, Ethan's wife, is just no holds nothing back, completely blames everything on him. So it's just like, damn, the first hour and a half yeah. of this game is it's rough. Totally. It's hard. Um, 
And I, I don't really have a great place to put this in. It kind of fits into game design, kind of doesn't. So I'm just going to talk about it. But David Cage is an alien, I think. <laughs> that's that's your that's your take? I think David Cage is an alien. I think he watched like a couple episodes of Law & Order, maybe. Maybe watched um, a sitcom. Maybe watched a season of Friends, season six, maybe. Um and maybe watched a couple soap operas. And I think he watched all those. And I thought, I think he thought he figured out how humans are and how humans act from that, from that media. And he decided I'm going to make a video game. And that's how we got heavy rain. That's how we got Indigo prophecy and Seriously. the other games. I think he improved a little bit by Detroit become human. Cause I do still have positive memories of that. I'm gonna have to replay that one soon, but yeah, I mean, it, the the way people interact together in this game are not how people interact at all. It's like a very badly written script being performed by very bad actors that don't know how to act natural. And to be fair, acting's hard, but I mean, shoot, when these people are getting paid for, I expect to, like, come on, you know? Well, And it's also voice acting more so as well. And to be fair, it's the direction they're given, but I mean, the voice acting like doesn't work with any of it. Um, it's just... It's rough, and these people are interacting as if they're. It's just not how humans interact, and they have these romances in the story that aren't earned at all. I mean, one of the main romances is between Ethan and one of the characters you mentioned earlier, Madison, Madison. and the, the the romance makes zero sense. The only reason Madison gets tries to get close to him in the beginning is because she's an investigative journalist. However, even with that, like going off the interactions, which are there for all their interactions, um, none of it seems, none of it is anything yeah, remotely it's, that would build any sort of insane. romance. I mean, it's literally her seeing this guy bleeding at a really weird, shady ass, creepy motel. And then just being like, oh, all of a sudden going savior mode. She's being like, oh, let me help you. Let me heal you. Just some random guy. And then even when she finds out this guy is probably... He says the At suspected the story, probably origami the killer. Suspected origami killer looks like he's the origami killer. She's just like, oh, so hot. And then he like reciprocates and they fall in love. And there's like a really awkward sex scene that doesn't feel earned. Oh my um, God. That sex scene is so and bad. To be fair, you have to choose to engage in the sex. You don't have to kiss Madison at that point. But I guarantee you every teenager playing this game chose that, <laughs> chose that decision. So... Um, it is just a very, very odd romance that doesn't make any sense. There's a very weird romance between Scott and one of the victim's mothers, Lauren. which is also very problematic due to Scott's nature. Um, Lauren and yeah. And then it just, none of it makes sense. The way people talk to each other don't make sense and it's just bad. I, yeah. I, I know for just to recontextualize here for the audience, I know we're just going in on the story. The story is the game. Uh, there yeah. is no, uh, like, you know, in this podcast, we do game design, art style, sound design, uh, game design, art style, sound design, all that stuff. Um, but this game is the story. There is not really any real game design in it, less yeah, so than some other interactive drama games, like Until Dawn had systems in place, had like objects you can find, had extra stuff, had like a, a higher degree of interactivity in real game design exploration, even one might say. Yeah. Um, and this game doesn't have any of that. This actually is a very linear movie 
TV show um, plot w disguised as a video game is the only way I would describe it. Yeah, and I mean, just going back a little bit too, I, I, I almost, I think I'd go as far as to say I find it problematic the way he depicts women in this. Dude, yeah, kind of like Madison is yeah. literally a sex object in this game. Like, yeah, she's, completely. It, it's terrible. She's introduced late. She's the first time she's introduced. She's half naked in her apartment, sleeping on her yeah. couch. Um, every other time after that, she's or she's introduced the first scene half naked in her apartment, and then she takes a shower. And she's naked in that shower scene and then gets attacked by people in her own apartment, in her own house. It's like a total like, you know, rape fantasy thing going on the very first chapter with this girl. And then she leaves yeah. and goes to a motel. And then like she's all of a sudden like the nurse for the main male character. He, she's literally just supposed to be like this kind of female savior nurse. She thing. had pretty much no reason to be in this. Story. Yeah, exactly. She didn't have a reason. And, and, oh man. She does all these things for Ethan too, like goes on all these crazy investigative trips and there's no reason anyone remotely in their right mind would ever help out a person like this and risk their own life after they've known them for like less than a day. Exactly. And it, I, I would, I'd be less upset if I hadn't played any other of his games, but I remember there's, I don't know if it was as egregious as it is in this game, but there's a very similar romance in Indigo Prophecy between two of the main characters. That's just very same thing. I, I think at least the way I remember it in that game, I, I will say at least I, I remember the, the girl character having a much more prominent role and not just being kind of a sex object per se, but I just remember like at the end of it, the two characters, spoilers for Indigo Prophecy, the two characters get together and they're like, oh my God, I love you. I love you too. And just like, again, there's like a sex scene. Um, and I just remember, and I, I, I'm like in college and I just remember I'm, I'm playing this game and I'm just like, what? Okay. Like, Why is there a sex scene right here? Like <laughs> from no matter how you look at it from a story set, because I remember watching it or playing it and I'm just thinking like, that makes zero sense given like, anything that's happened there's no reason for these two to remotely like each other yeah but apparently they're in love um and i don't know i mean maybe gamers maybe we're not as complicated as we think we are but i i'd like to think most of us would be able to see past that and acknowledge that as bad writing and again debatably problematic writing and more so I mean, shame on the publications that like gave this game good reviews honestly and didn't point um, that you're kind just of encouraging out. yeah i mean I'm pretty sure in some of the reviews I read from or listened to from IGN, like some of the praises were the complicated characters and the depth of them. Yeah, I, I was and even seeing like what depth again, and it's not. Like, I know we're shitting on Madison. To be fair, like what depth does Norman have? What depth does even Ethan have? Honestly, beyond like the surface level of like his trauma, like there's no intricacies yeah, to him. Totally, there's no intricacies to Scott other than spoiler alert. He's a really weird fucking psychopath with the very poor motivations for committing murders. It just make none of it works. The, um, I saw like that Madison was considered to be like a strong female lead character, uh, in, in like at the time that was like what reviews would say, um, which Fuck is that. really you want a strong female lead play control. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. It's the, I, it's, it's really problematic to say that Madison page in heavy rain isn't a good example of a strong female lead when the things that that are emphasized about her in this game are her body for one and her sex appeal in order to get information on the male characters in the game. 
There's literally a scene where you go into the bathroom and quote like make her sexier by applying like eyeliner. Not our words, literally yeah. hers. It, I think her exact words are gotta like sexy. I, I gotta get sexy. Very yeah. good, very bad writing. And yeah. then you and then you 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 literally inter you, you do this whole interaction. You do the input to rip her skirt in half, and then and make it shorter. And then you do the interaction to apply eyeliner to the right eye, and then you do the interaction to apply eyeliner to the left eye. Both two separate inputs. I don't know why we're forced to do these things. It's like, I don't want to do this. And then you're, the next interaction you have is you go up on a table and you do all the inputs to dance, quote, sexy in front of the nightclub owner so that he'll take you up to his office and then you can get information out of him. It's like so, it's such heavy objectification of her. It's like, you are i don't know why i mean they do that that. they do that with lauren too in the in the mansion party (laughs) that's yeah she just she acts like drunk and is like flirting with the guards like dancing on them just to distract them like there's no other way like uh, you know what would have been cool is okay how can i scheme to get these party goers in a fight to distract the guards so that i can go up to the room there was actually that would have been interesting i did a different thing for that one I oh, made a guy fight. An I made a guy fight another guy. I mean, All okay. Right. Well, hey, cool. Maybe I should write. No, no, no. So, okay, that is not choice, in my opinion. That is not a. That is not a real interactive thing for an interactive drama because there's no difference of results. There's a difference of means, and all you're doing is either making your female part. See, I didn't even know that. So the choice choice A is make your female partner flirt with the guards in order to distract them or choice B get a drunk guy to fight another guy so you can make a diversion and sneak past the guards there's still the same result what's the point of ha- having an interactive story yeah, there's um there's a oh, I forget what it's there's a name for that in storytelling like that kind of choice um that kind of interactive quote unquote storytelling where it's just like the it, it branches but then the branches are turned so it's like they're here they are they're a straight line going up and they branch off a little bit with two different choices, and then they come right. There back. were so many of those in this game. It was yeah. great. There was one. Um, sorry, go listen to our go listen to our anything's possible in agency. Yeah, game. yeah, yeah, that we was talked about this a lot. Um, there was a choice I had to make when I was in the the evil doctor, freaking doctor torture guy. Uh, I was in his house, and he's like, "Would you like uh, something to drink?" And I specifically said no. I was like, "No, I'm cool. This guy's probably gonna poison me." And then he's like, no, that won't do. I'll make you a drink. And you end up with a drink. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> I literally said no. It's like this game is not even allowing. It's so blatantly not allowing me to make a choice. that You can still not drink it, th- though. No, I know. But that what was the point of choice A or cho- like you might as well not. He basically had an actor record another voice line, created a whole other animation for him to deliver that line in order to get the same result that it, it didn't even matter. Like. If you're gonna write the script, just have the old man hand you a drink without even having you make a choice, because it doesn't matter. Like yeah. it, it the choice ultimately doesn't matter for the gamer. It created like more work and more development, albeit it was a small amount, to do that sort of thing. Why do it? Oh my god, I'm getting heated yeah. over here. I'm glad you feel the same way about this game as me. I'm sorry for all the heavy rain fans out there, but yeah, man. And honestly, as well too, the game was just really glitchy. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I don't know if it was the version I played or what, but it was. I played on the uh, technically the remastered PS4 version, but 
I mean, I had, and again, this is the remastered version, so it's been worked on since then, and they definitely had another opportunity to QA it, um, and there's still many bugs. I mean, there were like three or four times where I would leave a cutscene where I'm like talking to someone, and then as I re-enter, um, I guess the overworld where I can like walk around properly, I, 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 my controller just, my controller was working for all intents and purposes, and the game hadn't froze, but it wasn't accepting my inputs anymore, okay. and I was just stuck. And I'd have to reload it. Or I had a really stupid one. This happened a couple of times where, like when I made the eggs for Lauren in Scott's apartment, Scott Shelby, the detective, it just like did it register that I did it. And it just like let me do it again. I was like, oh, do it. Wow. Do I need to make more. So, but I was like, nope, put him in the exact same spot. It was like, I never did it in the first place. So I had a bunch of little things like that. And I was just kind of like, eh, I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> I have um, so. uh, I have a quote from Edge actually um a review that came out at the time they were one of the only unfavorable reviews um for heavy rain in 2010 um and this was written by the edge staff i was looking for a staff writer name but um this review was just attributed to the staff over at edge quote heavy rain is a point and click adventure with a massive verb sheet verb sheet. yeah just like it's a point and click with just extra steps is the way the way I take oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, hard agree on that one. Um, I don't think <laughs> we're technically still on game design, uh, I guess. But um, the choices and limits placed upon you basically made the game entirely linear. And the only differences in results happened when you failed quick time, like quick reaction based events which to me is not real choice. Real choice would be I go to location A or I go to location B and complete actions C, D, E, F, whatever. Like the thing is, is that you're always going to end up going to the same places in the same order, no matter, I mean, granted until the end when things get a little fuzzy narratively, basically you play the whole game doing everything exactly what David Cage wanted you to do. There's no breaking sequences. There's no doing things out of order. There's like no agency in this game except for failing very quick reaction, quick time events, which will lead to different results at the very end of the game. Quite literally, like the last five minutes of the game where like you get the epilogues for different characters. That's all it is. I, 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 this is, this is barely passable for game design. There's hardly any design in there. It's just a script that you play through. And I and it's not even a good script. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, we got we got to move on to the other sections. I know we're we kind of touching on every yeah. section at once, but yeah, we can we can we can move on. Uh, I mean, yeah, that was that was game design pre art art style. It's 2010. It's fine. okay. I got I do have something though, and this is this is not necessarily uh, this is not an, an indictment on the art team or anything, but I just think that. There's a very there's a very clear like intention to change the look of the game from the very first introduction sequence to the the later part of the game. So it's like you play yeah. the first part of the game, it's all happy and nice house, it's all sunny, it's all bright. And then your son dies, go into a coma. Now it's rainy and it it's just pure permanently it's, rainy. Everything's gray. Everything's gray, dark. permanently drab. The thing is is that if 10% 5% of your game is bright and sunny and green and 95% of your game is drab and rainy 
and urban. You just have a 95% monotone game with 5% of contrast to it. It's not real contrast. Like it's just no. it's just the beginning sets a like it's kind of level sets a little bit. And then we get that switch. And when it does switch to the moody, rainy atmosphere, it's like, oh, dang, okay, let's go. Like, this is the new, this is the world, we're entering it. And then the whole game is that way. There's no other, there's no other way to recontextualize yourself artistically where you're just like, oh, this is just now the look of the game. And almost, it's just not the right level balance of like contrast for me in terms of the art style, because I know what they're trying to accomplish, but it starts fading away very quickly after you're just in the rain for what feels like 10 hours. You yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. That, yeah. It, it's, it's not, it's not, I mean, yeah. And it's like you said, when you, when you open with that and then you, it just puts you in that, there's no way to get out of that like dreary mode. It's not a stylistic choice. It just is right? your game is just a dreary. Um, yeah. There's no contrast there. Yeah, and I mean graphically, I think it probably looks fine for 2010, but it's not great now, obviously by today's standards. Can't fault it for that, but can't fault it. I think it. I, honestly, I, I'm I'm pretty sure at the time graphically it was very very well renowned. So I'll give it that much, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I have anything else I want to touch on art? No. Um, sound design. I, I actually, I the voice acting. I mean, it was terrible. Maybe you can speak <laughs> to that a little bit more. However. I did actually like the soundtrack. I thought it was kind of like a fun uh, L.A. noir vibe almost that I enjoyed personally quite a bit. Um, I got it. I liked it a lot and I got a, I got a cool quote um, or not a quote, but a fun fact. The it was composed by Norman Crabelli and he was specifically instructed to represent the character's point of views via music. I saw that. So he specifically had a, like a piano for Ethan, um, chamber orchestra for Madison, a symphony for Norman, and then a brass, uh, like brass and flute um, band for Scott Shelby. So uh, I enjoyed all that personally, uh, and I think a lot of people would as well. And they recorded at, at Abbey Road Studios. That's cool. <laughs> so shout out. Beatles. Cool. All right. Um, Sound design, I guess I'll just give my two cents here. Yeah, I agree with you. Voice acting was pretty bad, except for a few key performances by some people. I think Ethan did have a few moments where he shined through um, during the trials, um, specifically um, when he cuts off his own finger. I was like, in that trial, I actually thought his vocal performance was like, oh shit, okay, that was cool. It was a very simple trial, it was super straightforward. Um, to me, that was like a point in the narrative that felt a little bit better than all the other parts of the narrative. I mean, it just felt like a little more like, okay, hey, are you willing to cut your own finger off? He's like, Grr! and then he like finally goes through with it and does it. It's like, okay, and then he screams. It's like, okay, cool, straightforward, simple. Uh, like, okay, makes everything makes sense. It's like I you know took a small bite and chewed it very well. That's how that felt. Every other piece of voice acting, especially from the kids, oh my god. It, they're so bad. There's even there's even this part uh, with and I know I was telling you about this earlier. One of the child actors, the child actor for the voice of child Scotty in the flashback of the two kids playing um, in the construction yard. One of those kids is French and his accent is very clearly like a kid trying to mask his French accent. Hey, we're going to get soaked if we spend a day outside. 
Well, this you won't get beat. Little Rain never hurt nobody. Come on, let's go play. And if you go back and listen to it, it's very, very obvious because something did feel off the whole time. And I, I just there's no excuse. There's <laughs> just like literally no excuse to do that. It's like there's a kid supposed to be a kid in Philadelphia, American kid, and you're using a kid with a French accent for that character. It's like mind blowing. I don't know how yeah, I don't know why that is. I um I, I do want to mention though, actually, I didn't mind Scott's um adult actor, voice actor. The, Me neither. These sounded exactly like how I'd imagine, like a very stereotypical private detective would sound. And there's literally one line too where I think it's when he's with Lauren trying to help um, help his help her baby out and trying to feed it. And Lauren's like, "Are are you sure you can handle it?" And Scott's just like, "Come on, I'm a I'm a private detective. There ain't nothing I can't do." And I'm just like, "Yes, Scotty, yes, <laughs> you are a private detective." Um. So yeah, actually, I thought his voice acting was decent, but everyone else was pretty bad. Lauren was pretty bad. Um, even the minor characters were like noticeable enough for me to consider it bad. Freaking like uh, Gordy, I think, is like like the rich dad's. Sons. Oh yeah, Gordy Kramer. Um, he was really bad. Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't great. Norman was terrible. I'm not sure who his voice actor was, but he also just didn't sound human sometimes. To it me. was like he was trying to do some sort of like no no decent accent thing, and it just wasn't. It was like going in and out. Yeah, and it just wasn't really working. I don't it know. It was what, like what, what um, was going on it there. sounded like like if I went up to you, it was like, "Hey, Luis, want to hear my British accent?" And yeah. like we'd be there for like a half second, then go right back out. That's what. It yeah, yeah. Like. It yeah. just I don't know what I don't know what kind of direction he was getting or why it was performed that way, but. Yeah, that was that was not great. Not great at all. Um, all right, NPC award. Uh, did you have any? I have. I do have one. So, okay, I'm. I'm. Go ahead. Go first, and I'll, I'll do mine second. <laughs> mine was the creepy motel guy. Okay, I'm gonna mention him, but go ahead. <laughs> I just thought one of the main points of the game where Madison meets Ethan is she arrives at this motel because apparently as an insomniac, that's the only place she can sleep. And the guy that checks her in is just incredibly creepy and very weird and does this very weird thing with his mouth, very reminiscent of what the doctor did in Until Dawn, where it's almost like a ventriloquist where he talks. And this is clearly like a design choice, you can tell, because you don't. it's never as egregious at any point in the other points in the game where he's talking and then his mouth just kind of hangs. Like, yeah. Like, that was a great yeah. choice in Until um, Dawn, by the way. It was Still. an amazing choice. And then... Like his words like intentionally won't match his lip flaps at certain points, but you can very again you can tell it's like a stylistic choice. And I don't know. I, I thought I, I thought he was kind of fun. I was like, oh, this guy's really weird. I wonder what role he's gonna play. And then he he had like zero role. He just kind of started to build him up for no reason, which I thought was a bummer. But he was just a way for like us to ogle at Madison for the second that he sees her, because he's just a, a random creep, just like oh yeah. hey. And then it's just like, oh, okay, so she's a desirable female object. Cool, got it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for reassuring me, Mister Hotel Receptionist. <laughs> uh, uh, my NPC award is, and I, again, I'm picking one because I have to pick one. Um, but I will use this opportunity as a platform to say that the NPCs in this game are 
like very much just cliches. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you were saying that like David Cage just kind of watched like some TV shows or soap operas and said, oh, this is how humans act. And then just said like, oh, like a sleazy motel receptionist. Like, of course, he's going to like ogle the the woman. Right. Like, let's just make him do that. Right. Or it's like, oh, of course, this this badass cop is going to like jump to conclusions about Ethan being the origami killer. And, and they do. It's like these characters. That was are also just another so thing. Everyone, they couldn't decide on how to say origami. It was either oh a cop or like someone with a really heavy like North New York or like Philadelphia, Boston accent. I mean, like, it's the origami killer. We got to catch yeah. the origami killer. It was so bad. <laughs> and there, it was so or it insane. Was origami killer, you know? Yeah. Um, I got a kick out of how much Lieutenant Blake, though, emphasized origami. <laughs> he did. Um, yeah. But the NPC I will choose just because I have to is going to be, I forget his name, uh, Gordon, Gordy Kramer's son. Uh, oh, really? We think is, yeah, I, I like him because i actually think that they try to do some weird psychological depth to him as like a legit crazy person like he felt crazier to me than any other quote crazy person in the game because he's like very clearly infantile and stunted because he's like watching a cartoon while two chicks are like making out next to him on a couch when you meet him the cartoon on the screen is like morbid in a way because like chickens are getting their heads cut off in a kitchen and like He's also like cheering on the, the the bodyguards fighting Scott in that in that whole fighting scene. Yeah. So I thought that with what they had, that character was actually insanely well developed. I wish they did something more with him, or maybe put a little bit more the same amount of care into the other characters where they were like creepy or weird, but they also like were there, there was very clearly a psychological reason behind it or an implied psychological reason for their, their insanity. But that was pretty much the only character that you felt that with. And he was yeah. such a throwaway. He was in one scene. It didn't matter. Cause even so. in those brief moments you meet him and his clear like nuances, of course he's like that, right? Because he is a spoiled brat probably his whole life grew up as daddy's little boy had everything you ever wanted. So of course, like if someone's going to be crazy, that's how they're going to turn up from those circumstances. So yeah, they say all that without saying all that. Yeah. That's what's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Companion piece pick. Companion piece pick. I have a companion piece. I am going with seven by David Fincher movie. Okay. And okay, cool. for none other than the reason that it's a detective movie, and it's actually good. It's a very good movie. I highly recommend you check it out. Very pretty dark as well, actually. Very dark. Um, very graphic as well, but very, very good movie. David Fincher is sick as hell. And yeah, Brad Pitt can't go wrong. Yeah. All right. Love it. Love the choice. All right. I I don't have a companion piece pick. Instead, I will also use this as a soapbox if, if it's all right with you. I got something for you, though, um, something I think you would actually appreciate um, and some of our uh, literary minded uh, listeners might also agree with or, you know, get a kick out of. Um, for those of you that know, you know, mystery as a genre, mystery as, you know, murder mysteries specifically um, as a novel style, you know, are fairly new um, in terms of like literature. Right. Um, they're really 
about a hundred plus years old, you know, in kind of in the modern era of like crime and investigation and police have the detective novel and the detective story really shine through and become one of the more popular genres in TV and film and all that stuff, right? And in the early part of the 20th century, there were a lot of writers writing, you know, very well-known, very famous detective stories, you know, Agatha Christie and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle kind of setting out a lot of framework for what makes a really great detective story or murder mystery. Um, there's a very famous set of rules that is out S.S. Van Dyne's article on the 20 rules for writing detective stories. Um, I'm not going to read all 20 here, but I want to read some of these to you, Matt, and and ask you if if this game as a mystery story is breaking the rules here. Now, to be fair to Heavy Rain, it's, it's weirdly not a mystery mystery. Um, it's more of like, because there is a dead body, there is a murder investigation, mm -hmm. But there's a, it's more of a kidnapping story, it's slightly, slightly different. That which is why it's in this weird middle ground, I think, where the kid that shows up dead in the first scene where we meet Norman just gets forgotten about. I think we all just forgot about him, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, there's like supposed to be an active murder investigation happening because a dead body shows up at the beginning of the game, but none of it matters because it just serves as a jumping off point to find the kidnapper of a kid if that makes sense it's a very weird narrative thing that gets completely overlooked anyway rule number one matt ss van dyne's um 20 rules for detective stories the reader must have equal opportunity with the detective for solving the murder all clues must be plainly stated and described does that happen here mm, repeat it all, the reader must have equal opportunity with the detective for solving the mystery. All clues must be plainly stated and described. No. Okay. Next one. No willful tricks or deceptions may be played on the reader other than those legitimately played by the criminal on the detective himself. No. You're literally tricked as the audience yeah. in Heavy Rain, uh, might I say. Okay. <laughs> Number three. There must be no love interest in the story. To introduce a more is to clutter up a purely intellectual experience with irrelevant sentiment. Well, no. <laughs> Number four, the detective himself or one of the official investigators must never turn out to be the culprit. This is bald trickery on par with offering someone a bright penny for a $5 gold piece. It's very old, very old rules here. Um, the culprit must be determined by logical deductions, not by accident or coincidence or unmotivated confession. To solve a criminal problem in this fashion is like sending the reader down a deliberate wild goose chase, then telling them after they arrived that they have failed. Dang. I think I, I can go on. There's a lot of rules here, and I, I encourage the listeners out there to check it out. But as far as mysteries go, which at the core this game story is supposed to be, it fails on a lot. And again, these are, quote, rules to writing great mysteries. Breaking the rules is fine if you do them right. Blah, blah, blah. We all know the, we all know the, the gist. But there's so such blatant disregard for what a good mystery should turn out to be 
The fact that the main investigator of the story turns out to be the culprit is so whack. Yeah. And the fact that you don't really learn it through actions that you take, it kind of just gets revealed to you this really like heartless way. It, it's also, it actually gets revealed to you through flashback, which is just insanely heartless to me. Um, yeah, it uh, as a as a mystery story full full through it, it does not really hit to me. So that's that's the companion piece pick platform, and I'm gonna die on that soapbox. I enjoyed that. Thank you. That was nice. Um, and we we can kind of talk about that a little bit more nitpicks actually too. But uh, favorite moments, um, not really many, but I have one. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Um, when Jason got run over, because it surprised me. Um, that's not what I remembered happening. It's like, oh, look at that. So that's my favorite moment. Not for the kid you know dying, what? to be clear. Not for the yeah. kid dying, but because I was like, oh, oh no. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. So, okay. Love it. Love it. Um, favorite moment. I'm going to go with the drug trips. Uh, just multiple favorite moments. The drug trips by Norman. Thought those were pretty cool. Um, I liked. Sort of the feeling of like the camera shaking. I like the visuals of it. Or you mean um, the withdrawals rather, right? Sorry, yeah, the withdrawals, not the drug trips. Um, although he is kind of tripping. He's like hallucinating straight up at some points. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, he's not necessarily having a drug withdrawal. But um, yeah, just kind of thought those are cool. They, they were like the perfect amount of time. They didn't, they didn't last too long. You had a choice of whether to take drugs or not take drugs. So it actually felt like you were, you know, making a choice. You know what I wish though with uh, that too is I really wish that Kind of what you were saying earlier that they just flesh out his character more. I would have loved to know the reason why was he addicted to these drugs, right? Is there... I know. I love how he's just addicted to drugs. Should we, should we be rooting for him to get off these? Or is he just some guy that randomly was like, oh, sick, tryptocaine? I know. You know is I, he like trying to get over... What is tryptocaine? I, I forgot. They don't really ever define what it does or like what it is, but... It's just a, some addictive drug in that universe, but there's they, they never give us any reason to root for him or not root for him as far as the drug addiction goes because they never really speak. It's it's literally just there as a reason for David Cage to throw drugs into the story mix. <laughs> totally. It doesn't really serve any. I mean, I guess you can kind of say it serves some narrative purpose because there are certain points where it does affect how the story moves because he has like a withdrawal at certain pivotal moments, but it's not an interesting involvement in the story by any means. And it's a waste opportunity because again, that could have maybe been an interesting character. You know, maybe he had some tragic backstory that, you know, is the reason he's addicted to those drugs. Maybe he never even intended to get addicted in the first place. There could be so many reasons for that, you know? So I think that's a bit of a, another wasted opportunity. Uh, I want to move on to nitpicks here, Lucas, and we've talked a lot about, but one I really want to focus in on as well. And one that you've really brought up to me as well too is, well, three big ones. One, again, spoilers, we already talked about it. Um, Detective Scott Shelby, who you play as, as much of the game is actually the killer, the origami killer. Uh, I want to talk about Scott's motivations and why it's awful. I want to talk <laughs> about, and you brought this up to me, why the trials make zero sense. And three, the reveal of the killer and how it just outright tricks the audience and how shitty that is. Yeah. Um, so I, I just want to dive into the motivation a little bit. So everyone, Scott's backstory is um, grew up 
and you know, very terrible. Obviously, grew up in an abusive household with a very abusive alcoholic father. Terrible stuff. Not trying to downplay that at all. And one day to get out of the house while his dad's having an alcoholic episode, him and his brother John, they go and they're playing around the construction site, which is where their trailer is, which is an odd spot for a trailer, regardless of the situation, I think, but whatever. Um, and they're on, they're playing around, and then it's raining heavily that day, and John ends up getting stuck in a pipe that's raising with water due to the rain and Scott has to go find help. No one's around, of course, so he goes to the dad. Dad is just pissed drunk, doesn't want to help. So unfortunately, John ultimately dies while basically holding or while holding Scott's hand, I believe. And somehow this motivation, this event, well, traumatic to be sure, it would be traumatic to anyone. This event leads Scott to... And maybe he did more when he was younger or in his earlier 20s and 30s. I don't know. But Scott looks like he's around the age of 50, maybe leaning into his 60s. Um, this leads Scott to all of a sudden to decide at that age point to start murdering children by drowning them in rainwater. <laughs> and by only giving the children the chance to live by um, making their fathers, which probably many of the fathers did attempt these challenges, do extremely, extremely hard challenges for no reason, such as driving into ongoing traffic, such as, and surviving and navigating that successfully, um, such as navigating through electrical wires and crawling through cutting, glass. Cutting your, cutting your finger cutting off. Cutting your finger off, drinking poison. And the only one of these I can maybe slightly justify is the poison, which is also fake poison he makes you drink at the end. However... These, this motivation makes no sense because did he have a shitty dad? Yes. His, did his dad not care about his son? Yes. But put any other person in that situation, any bystander, any other father figure, if Scott was in that situation with either Sean or Jason, hands down, I guarantee you he goes and helps him out. Any of the fathers that that's their kid, they probably go help them out, right? They're not like picking necessarily abusive people per se. So... It's disappointing to see because the his trauma does not justify the motivations for those murders, no matter how you look at it. And even when he asks, when he's confronted about it, um, Scott, when he's confronted by Ethan, Scott just goes, you have no idea what it was like for me. I had it hard too. And that's like the end of like their moral battle, right? And again, I'm not doubting Scott had it hard after his brother died very tragically, but... Forcing dads to do insane challenges to try and to have the opportunity to maybe save their sons doesn't tie into trauma of you having a very shitty, abusive, alcoholic father. It doesn't. Not at all. <laughs> I agree. And also, it's like, would like the trials are life risking trials, right? So the first trial is to drive into oncoming traffic. So you're saying that the origami killer believes that if you drive into oncoming traffic in order to save your son, then you're a good father, right? So you do that, almost die, and then you got to do the next trial. It's like, what? Like that trial, if you die, means you can't do the other trials. Yeah. So the only one so that is kind of justifiable can't... is the poison one because it's the ultimate sacrifice to save your son, but you don't actually die. Like that's the only yeah. one that's slightly justifiable. The the cutting the finger one off makes sense to me too, though, because it's a self-harm. It's like, are you willing to go through the pain of doing it to save your son? 
That makes sense to me, like as far as the context of it all. But if the first trial is driving through oncoming traffic and you die, then your kid's just going to die too. So they imply that there was like a husband that got a shoebox and then left. This is actually Lauren's husband. Mm -hmm. Got the shoebox, left, and never came back again. So he died, right? Trying to do these trials. Well, then the son died because the dad died. It's like it it makes no logical sense for the motivation of the killer. Like, oh, let me see how how willing this dad is to do to save his son. Oh, he drove an on time in traffic, died. Okay, well then the son's gonna die. Yeah. Fucking idiot. Like it's not even it that his dad wasn't willing. His dad was just pissed drunk and an asshole. Is that yeah, simple? Exactly. Yeah. He sh- like it would have made sense if he was targeting fathers that were pissed drunk asshole fathers to see if they would save their sons. And if they didn't even try, then he would kill the son. But it wasn't really about that. It was like, here are some trials to see if you're motivated enough to do it. But these trials can kill you, which will also kill your son. Yeah. Makes zero, zero sense, unfortunately. Um, And one more nitpick we have to type into is how lame and just rude to the to the player, honestly, the reveal that Scott is the killer is. The reveal just comes again, as Luke started described, through a series of flashbacks and is revealed. For example, one of the main big things that happens while you're playing as Scott is you're visiting, excuse me, you're visiting a um, an old man in his clock workshop, basically, his like watch repair shop. Antique um, shop. Antique shop, yeah. And while you're there, the guy suddenly dies and you're like, oh, what the heck? Like this killer must have suddenly somehow got in here and escaped, whatever. And then it's revealed in another flashback that, or in a flashback later on in the game, that you're actually the one, Scott is actually the one that murdered that character in the middle of that scene while you're supposedly having control, full control of the character. So that is incredibly lame. It's like a sin. It's a, it's it's like- a cardinal sin because it... I mean, you described it. You're intentionally tricking the audience because they're taking a scene where you're seemingly in full control and a game that like touts giving you full control as well. That's like its whole selling point is giving you interactive storytelling. However, it totally strips that moment away from you. Doesn't even like imply that anything that you're involved at all really in that scene per se. And all of a sudden it's like, oh no, here's what actually happened. Like your scene didn't actually play out how you thought it did. And it's just so bad. And then even like you can, there's this option in the game or not option, but you can hold down when the triggers are not sure what it was for you. Look, you can play on PC, but you can hold down a button and you'll get like thought bubbles. You can basically hear what your character's thinking in the moment. And then like, as you're looking over the dead body, Scott's like, ah, oh, poor guy. He didn't deserve to go like that. Like showing sympathy and things like that being like, Oh, who did this? You know? And uh, it, it, it's just a very, very lame trickery trick. And yeah, a very, very lame way to try and fit in, justify or showing that, oh, there were hints the whole time. Scott was, of course, the killer. And where there were maybe like really small hints. There's a certain point where he talks about typewriters and he has one in his office. But there wasn't, uh, it wasn't enough to justify. There was no, pay, it didn't make sense as a payoff. I, I got a quote for you in relation to this. So Eurogamer interviewed David Cage when the game came out. And the first thing they ask him is, I guess you must have done a lot of focus testing of the game. Did you find that people worked out who the killer was before the end? David Cage says, no one. 
70 people did the user test. None of them found out who the killer was before we reveal it. That's bad. Well, of course, of course they didn't find out who the killer yeah. was. You literally like set up a scenario where it's impossible to deduce it as an audience because you give an alibi outright to the murderer yeah. by not showing in the moment that he killed a guy. Because like the way you experience that moment that you're describing as the audience is you just walk to the back and he's dead. You don't in a game where you're interacting as that character. It's mind blowing. I know I've said that it's mind blowing a lot, but it really is mind blowing. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> anyway, are you done with nitpicks? Yeah, we, we've torn into this game quite a bit. Yeah, I think um, I have a lot of nitpicks. I think I've kind of gone through them um, throughout the episode here. Um, talked about the asthma thing. That was weird. Um, Scott Shelby doesn't reload his gun once after shooting it 20 times. Um, kind of weird. Uh, 20 bullets, 20 people instantly dead. No asthma. Doesn't make that much sense. There's just an evil tortured doctor in the game. Um, I guess this game came out a little bit around the Saw era of movies. And, you know, they just want to throw that in there. This game is like a really shitty Saw. <laughs> yeah dude it's like bullshit Insanely torture shitty. porn really really bad saw yeah totally and I, that was one thing i wanted to say too is i i really do think that this game plot is like a product of its time where like a lot of people probably at the time felt like this was kind of a bridge between what movies were doing that was working which was creating like a, like a kidnapping movie or a torture movie or like an insane psychopathic murder movie and bridging it into a video game setting with interact light interactivity. It's, That's why I think people praise this game. It's the only logical explanation I can think of of why people like this game when it came out. It's like he saw Taken and then he saw Saw and was like, oh, there's something there. There's something, there's something there. Something Let me make there. this into a game. Throw those together. Yeah. Um, and I'll, some yeah. other nitpicks real quick. The characters possess information that they're not supposed to possess for whatever reason. Um, Madison knows where Ethan is after the third trial. For some reason, she just knows this. There's a certain part where she, when she finds out who the origami killer is, she calls Norman. You have the ability to call the FBI agent, even though you've never interacted with him or really? have his phone number. Yes, <laughs> that is a thing in this game. It makes zero sense. Um, I just, just, it's insane. It's insane. I'll, I'll, I'll um, I think I rest my case. Love it. Uh, all righty. So, Lucas, would you play other games from this developer? I hope you I would, would try it. I'd love, for, I'd, I really want us to do Heavy Rain at some point now. You mean Detroit Become Human? Excuse me. Yeah, Detroit Become yeah. Human. I, I would like to play more games. And I think, you know, I, I, I think I would volunteer, I would play games by this developer to, you know, revalidate or fully validate my opinion on on David Cage and the type of you know director and writer that he is. Um, kind of like the Joseph Ross thing, you know, where we've historically have not been a fan of his on this pod and kind of drilled him into him a lot. But the only way we can really form the most solid opinion is to play all of their games. So I will play more games by David Cage, but God, I hope that they are at least more fun than this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've already established I've played many of his games, so the answer for me is unfortunately still yes. I, if he releases anything new, I'll still try it because I'm curious. But we have now reached the point where uh, no, we haven't. I lied. Lucas, does this have your approval? No. Yeah. This nope. um, 
my the note I put down for this was for whether or not this has my Segoy of approval. Right. Meh. 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 No. Um, all right. So we have not reached a point where Lucas and I will each give our ratings out of 10. 10 plus 10 equals 20. We will give a singular rating out of 20. And that is the ultimate rating. It upsurps every other game publication, whether it's IGN, Metacritic, even the people can't get it over us. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll leave it at that. Lucas, are, are you ready to give your rating on the count of three? I am. All righty. One, two, three, four. Three. Okay. Okay. That's a seven. You know, I started at a six. Okay. And throughout yeah, this conversation, I, it got lower. <laughs> yeah, me too. I started off as a four, and now I've moved it down to a three. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. W- wow. Yeah. Bad. Whew, that was rough. And I'm, you know, to the good people out there, to the good listeners of Thanks for Playing, you know, if you love this game... Uh, and you played it years ago, I would recommend you play it again with a fresh set of eyes um, yes. and see how you feel about it. If you still love it, we'd love to hear why you still love it. And Matt, if they want to tell us why they still love it, where can they find us online? They can find us online. Thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. Again, that is thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at CFE Podcast. That's CFE Podcast with an S at the end. As well, you can also find our website, thanks for playing.live at thanks for playing.live. And you can find a link to our Discord on that website as well as in the link trees of our um social medias as well on Instagram and Twitter. So come hang out, everyone. It's a good time. Come join the Discord. We got a uh, a fun a fun group there. Shout outs to our most recent uh, members, Prophetic Gamer and uh, T-Su. Uh, neither have yet made their debut chatting in the Discord, but I'm sure <laughs> after calling them out, they will. <laughs> um, and if you want to hang out with your good buddy, Matt, you can find me on Twitter at GoodIdeaMatthew. All right. And if you want to find me online, I would highly recommend uh, the Discord server. It's probably the place where you'll have the most amount of interaction with me. But you could also follow me on Instagram at GoodIdeaLucas. And Matt, um, I just want to kind of point out to the audience here, uh, we do have uh, a little bit of fun interactions going on in the Discord. Every Monday, we are now doing Super Metroid Monday where um, you will be given a venue on all of your video game hot takes. Yes. Um, Today was the first week where we officially did it, first day where we officially did it. Um, And we got some pretty hot takes in here. Um, Mine, I'll just shout out mine, uh, (laughs) just for the super hot take of the week. The best Zelda game is Majora's Mask. Part two, Skyward Sword's a bad game. That's Lucas's hot take for the week. Um, Listen for the podcast for more. Love that. Um, I actually did not have a hot take this week, unfortunately, but I will, however, give a shout out to Orion, who believes that Final Fantasy IV, also known as Final Fantasy II, when it was released uh, in the US on the SNES, is the best Final Fantasy ever. Hot take, Orion. Um, Super hot take. Our good buddy Mickey is not a fan of... (laughs) Skyrim, 
I was upset about personally. And <laughs> Dragoon, good old Dragoon, tore into Pokemon, left no one standing, woke up and chose violence. <laughs> Kidding, Dragoon, we know we you know we love you. Uh, and I, we enjoyed your hot take. Um, all right, everyone, this has been. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. And happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Jason, give it up. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 